Um, so actually, I'm really pumped to do this because, you know, like we, you know, for anyone watching, we met like, I don't know, like a year and a half ago or something like that. Right. Just, at Dick. Yeah. Dick. So I was wearing a yeah. Mohican shirt and you're like, oh, hey, like I did the, did you do the 50 miler or the 100 miler? Yeah. 50 miler that year. Yeah. Yeah. And you saw that and then you came up to me yeah. and kind of said hi. And then um, friends oh. on Facebook and, you know, I mean, it was, that was kind of like the, extent of the interaction but you know i would you know see stuff you posted and everything and i would see all the you know ultras that you would do and stuff and you know then i started you know <laughs> seeing a little bit about your story i was like oh this dude's like fucking cool you know <laughs> like you <laughs> you know yeah, you, thank you i don't know you just have some really interesting stuff and i wanted to like kind of learn i guess with everyone else who, who potentially watches this could you kind of you know start maybe just in like your early life? I know you were in the military and stuff like that. Yeah. <clears throat> um, I don't know. What do you want me to say? Where do I, you want to go with this? I guess first off, like, what... like, well, you know, I'm a recovering addict, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. And I, I, I want to kind of like go so... chronologically a little bit, you know, figure out like what kind of came first, like the military or what was the first kind of event? Um. Well, I'm the oldest of 12 children. Oh, so you're, I, yeah. I, yeah. 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 Um, I'm a dysfunctional Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I grew up with nine sisters and two brothers. And um, yeah. Yeah. You grow up with nine chicks and see if you end up normal. <laughs> <laughs> they corrupt you. So it was kind of like um, every time I turned around, my parents are great parents. Don't give me, a, a, I don't ever think different. And they loved all of us the same. But for whatever different, I'm, I'm a little bit wired different than the rest of my brothers and sisters. And um, being the oldest, it was like me and my next sister aren't even a full year apart. Oh, wow. And every, every time I turned around, there was a new fucking kid. <laughs> and it was always, what about me? So I was kind of an attention seeker, um, troublemaker. <clears throat> and... I just wanted to get the hell out of there. So I joined the Marine Corps. Um, my parents signed for me when I was 17 and actually left for boot camp at 17. So, um, and basically to get out of there. But um, in like a lot of my life, I didn't go full bore. I only joined the reserves because um, they were going to pay for my college because I was going to be this big study buddy. Um, and I really didn't drink through high school. I was kind of a straight edge, straight edge punk rocker, a little troublemaker, a big troublemaker, actually. Um, got uh, alcohol poisoning on senior trip. That was the extent of my drinking in high school. And um, then into the Marine Corps, as soon as I got out of boot camp um, and went to infantry training school, I was 18 at the time then. Um, I had had my 18th birthday and you could drink at 18 on military bases. And not just the Marine Corps, all branches are, it's a rite of passage, you get drunk, you know. Um, badge of honors that you wear, who can drink the most and from there, it just escalated. Um, there was some abuse in our family. We had um, 
we had an uncle that was a priest and he abused some of us growing up and that was <clears throat> a lot of issues with um because we're talking I'm 55 years old so we're talking the late 60s early 70s where <clears throat> it was very hush hush and in like true catholic fashion you brush it under the throw rug at the front door and just make a the Catholic speed bump because what stays in the what happens in the family stays in the family, and it was always um, Uncle Don or Father Moore, as he was called, um, drank, and that's why he did those things. Nowadays, we know that's not the case. So I lived with that, and um, drinking helped ease that pain. And like I said, it was also the badge of honor. And it gave me the feeling like I could do anything. Mm. Um, and, <laughs> and I could do anything. It just was, um, or I thought I could do anything when I drank. I got my ass kicked a lot because I thought I was this big, tough Marine. Um, the college thing didn't work. I flunked out after the first semester. I found the college campus bars at the University of Toledo and um, got into painting. My uncle was a business agent for the painters union. And from there, my life was just a mess. Um, drinking and, you know, they say that marijuana is a gateway drug. That's bullshit. That's bullshit. It's alcohol. Um, it's usually the first you know, one that anyone ever tries. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, the first time I tried cocaine, I had, you know, my inhibitions were lowered because I was drunk. Um, yeah. Probably in my normal state of mind, I probably wouldn't have tried coke. And, but that enhanced, um, I could drink more, could drink a lot more. Um, you know, and throughout the 80s and into the 90s, I ended up with eight drunk drivings, um, which was unheard of. And still, yeah, I, was is, saying, I don't but, know, that's, that might be a record yeah. for at least. I know a lot of people have gotten DUIs, and that's pretty good. That's that's a lot. There, um, then back then, it was almost a slap on the wrist. Um, they get dropped drop down to reckless operation. Um, I forget what all the other charges were. Um, they were basically drunk driving. And in 1997, I um, went to jail for, I was sentenced 18 months for that last number eight, number six, seven, and eight, um, because I kept running from the law. And they kept Every time I'd get arrested for some petty little charge. I was curious, um, what uh, what was like your mindset? Like when you when you would like try to run or even um, get caught drinking and driving again, like what did you, what, what did you like think? Like, you know what I mean? Like, were you um, like, oh, was, whatever? Or... Yeah, yeah, I was yeah. above the law. Yep, I was definitely above the law. And then, and then especially, you know, I'd spend a night in jail going in front of a judge and they'd give, they'd let me out on my own recognizance. And I'd always say, yes, I'll be back. And I knew it was always going to be catch me if you can. Yeah, I was always above the law, um, you know, for whatever reason. 
I just thought I was above the law. You know, they were picking on me always. That's why I was getting DUIs at three in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, there's Bob again. Yeah. Let's get him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're out to get me. Exactly. And, um, you know, it, life halted at that point in 97. Um, you know, at that point also, I have a son. He will be 30, uh, 33 in March coming up. Um, March 20th, he'll be 33. So I had a son at that time. I wasn't a great father. Um, I tried to be, um, tried to do the best I could, but alcohol was definitely very much more important. Um, and the cocaine at that time as well. I'd also just tried crack a few times before 97. And then, uh, like I said, the world halted that day for <clears throat> a minute because I was sentenced 18 months. Um, mm -hmm. I ended up, I ended up doing like eight and a half, nine months. I did, um, I did an intense outpatient treatment. I was at Stryker in Ohio. It's like a five county regional jail. And, um, went to every church service, anything I could do to get out of the, get out of the dorm, I'd go and do. And I also knew it was kind of like brown open to um, make myself look better. But I also was believing it. Um, I really did think I wasn't gonna drink again. Um, and I haven't since that day. I've not touched alcohol since that day. Um, I got out like, I don't even remember the exact day never have but when I got out I stayed sober for went to work went back to work as a union painter um thought about going back to school I was going to be this big drug and alcohol counselor the best in the world um I was doing 12-step meetings um I was doing them at first for myself but also to get the court slip signed for my probation and eventually it was to get the court slip signed. Then I knew how, figured out how to get around that, getting the court slip signed. And soon enough, um, I went back to smoking crack. Like I said, I have not touched alcohol since that day. What made since you that day that I got like kick alcohol that time instead of like, you know, <laughs> the other times I'm assuming kind of, what made, what made it, it really? <laughs> it was expensive and it took away my freedom. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that, that cost me a lot and it took away my freedom. Yeah. Um, and in my twisted addictive mind, I was only smoking crack at that time when I, when I, when I made that decision and it was like, like I said, it was about 18 months that I'd stayed clean and sober. Um, yeah, 15 to 18, somewhere around there. I mean, that's a considerable um, amount of time. Like that's, yeah, you know, that's... yeah, I was, I was, but I quit going to meetings. Um, I found my way around getting that slip signed and, you know, just quit doing what I, I had learned what to do to keep myself, quit hanging out with those people from the meetings. And soon enough, it was, well, like I said, in my addictive mind, it was, um, crack never made me get in fights. Crack never uh, made me get DUIs. 
I'm only going to do it Friday night, you know, and um, it worked that way for a little bit for, for a few months. And then it was Friday and Saturday. Then it was Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Um, soon enough, it just took over my life. Um, <clears throat> but in, so that was probably, that was like, I did 98 into 99 and like, just after, no, just before 9-11 in 2000, um, I was kind of beat up. I was tired again. Um, of course, I have a big family, like I said. They were back in my life when I was sober then for that time. Um, they were proud of me, but they didn't, when I, when I drifted away, kind of, I would disappear. They, nobody would know where I was, really. Um, I would visit my son once in a while during that time. Um, but in somewhere around June or July 2000, just prior to 9-11, um, I was tired. Like I said, um, I rode a little BMX bike. I drove that whole time um, without a license. I figured out a way how to plate a vehicle. Um, I knew a lot of loopholes. Yeah. And in, forced um, to innovate. Yes, exactly. Um, but I also rode a little BMX bike because I was this kind of like low key Pablo Escobar in my mm. mind, <laughs> support my <laughs> habit and, and, and doing a little, uh, you know, I'd always say I, because I, I did work during that time also. So, and I'd work on and off, never for, usually for an out of town contractor that would come in and do some kind of, uh, shut down work at factories in Toledo at the time, um, go through the union hall. No like local contractor wanted me to work for them because I was very unreliable. But when an out of town contractor came in, they had to take the bottom of the barrel and mm. that was me. And I'd always, you know, I'd get that paycheck and I'd go out there and call up, call up my dude. And I'd be uh, in my mind getting that Scarface starter pack because yeah. I was going to be, yeah, and it, it never worked out that way or did. So like I said, that that was going on 99 into 2000. I rode that little BMX bike over to my sister and brother-in-law's house and asked them for help. Um, and they, they did. They would, um, they made me give me my paycheck every week. All the, all the stuff that you hear about families trying to do, um, in a way they were helping me, but towards, but I found ways to get around. I would mm -hmm. still get high here and there without them knowing that, but living this lie and telling them and my, the rest of my family, I was sober. Um, <clears throat> but I also at that time met this guy that started a program in Toledo called racing for recovery. And it was like an alternative to 12 step. And he ran, he did Ironmans. Um, and he was very, the, the program, would just, he had just started the program like a year prior to that. Um, so I kind of looked up to him and I always was kind of athletic. So I, I thought, and this guy was a little, little tiny guy. I'm like, if that, if that squirrel can do <laughs> Ironmans, I can. Um, unfortunately, the drugs took over again and 
Did you try? Did you do any races at all? Like, did you do any, or did you just not like, then? No, nope, not then. Just considered back then, and um, I don't know. Probably not long after nine eleven is when I disappeared again. Did did what I did best, um, and from there I ended up moving towards Detroit in Lincoln Park. Worked for a union contractor up there, um, and would do you know, three, four weeks at a time without getting high. And then I'd have a big weekend, uh, blow a whole bunch of money. Um, I was living on my own then, right? In Lincoln Park, it was the east side of Detroit, basically. So mm. ended up, um, and at that time I was, I was driving, obviously, <laughs> even though I didn't have a license. Like I said, I knew how. And I go down, Brian was um, into wrestling and football, and I go down for a lot of his sporting events. Um, I remember too going. He he his mom wanted him to do Cub Scouts, and he wanted he want she wanted him and I to do it together, and he hated it. Yeah. And and I was like, whatever. But your mom wants us to do this, so in my little uh, twisted mind, I'm like, we got to do something together. And I think it was every Wednesday night, either every Tuesday or every Wednesday or every other. And when I would go down there, I'd be like, well, she wants us to do something. Why don't we go to Hooters together? So, <laughs> that was our thing. We were, and she eventually, she eventually found out, you know. Taking, Father-son uh, activities. Yeah. Yeah. And I wasn't drinking at that time. And I never, I never did, uh, was high or drunk when I drove uh, Brian around. But I didn't have a license either. So, you know. Um, and that was our little thing. She got a little irritated, but it was something that we did, um, you know, about six months, which for me was, was a long period of time to be in, in his life. Um, and from there, I ended up losing that job up there, losing that house, um, moving back down towards Toledo. Um, I roamed the streets of East Detroit for a little bit. That wasn't really cool. Yeah, it doesn't um, doesn't it was, sound yeah. cool. I, you know, just yeah. walking the streets of Detroit normally, yeah. honestly, isn't that cool? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, um, and in and out, staying at my parents' house. You know, at this time, what am I? That's 2005. I was 40 years old. You know, um, living with my parents. Uh, doing everything addicts do, stealing their identity at times. Um, never was really a thief other than with my family because I knew they wouldn't press charges. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of a coward and real low life. Um, still one time they had enough and asked me to leave. And that was, um, actually they didn't ask me to leave. I grabbed my mom's wallet and left with it because I didn't have time to put it back in her purse and no I take that back I I took the money out of her wallet and um she came back into the room so I had the money and the wallet was upstairs in the bedroom that I was staying in but my ride had shown shown up so I just left and I knew I had no intentions of coming back because of what I did um and 
that was 2006, towards the end of 2006. And then 2007 was like <clears throat> the like worst year of my life. Totally um, in and out of in and out of being homeless, basically homeless. I'd live in crack houses, um, shelter once in a while, jail once in a while. I always kept a warrant in my back pocket for when things got really bad. Somewhere to stay. Myself and, yes, like yeah, that. kind of regroup, kind of regroup. And I also um, yeah, uh, started trying a little, Most of my, my drug of choice was crack. But I ended up trying a little heroin here and there. Um, it, it was all around. And it kind of took the edge off of uh, fiending for crack. Mm-hmm. It would, but then but then you start mixing the two and then you want them both. You end up doing whatever you can to get that. Um, but also that year of 2007, I have a cousin, that, uh, a, a, man, a, man, a guy, my friend Scott, married into my family, married my cousin. And um, they had four children, two normal and two that had spinal muscular atrophy, which is like a form of muscular dystrophy. And Scott owned his own uh, roofing company and did 90% of what he did was new construction, which in the roofing business, that's cake work compared to tear offs and, and all that. So he would, um, he knew where I was. He actually paid for the cell phone I had at the time. He was, <laughs> he didn't love me, um, but he was also like my biggest enabler, but he didn't realize what he was doing. Um, and I'd work two, three days a week. He dropped me off forever. He never knew where he was gonna pick me up. I never had like a stable place to live. Um, like I said, it was, pretty much being homeless that year, but I had crack houses and, and crack houses aren't always boarded up windows. You know, some of them are people that have a house and just are addicted and let people crash there. Yeah. Um, but that summer also, so when I worked with him, two things, I knew I'd get paid for the day and I knew I'd get one, one good meal for the day because he'd buy fast food for lunch for me. So I wouldn't have to get a meal because I'd have the cash, I'd have a little food in my belly and I'd have money for what I needed the night for that night. Yeah. Um, but he'd also take me home to his house um, here and there and we'd grill out at a pool. And there's a few things that happened that summer that I'll forever remember. Um, so Samantha was 10 years old and she, the one day, we're over there after work and all the kids, you know, it's summertime. All the kids are gathered around the picnic table doing what kids do in the summer. They have coloring books and whatever, and just sitting at the picnic table being kids. And all of a sudden they all get up and jump up on their bikes. And she looks at me and just says, I wish I could ride a bike, Bobby. And I was like, at that point, I just looked at her and I hated God at that time for what he did to that little girl. And I hated myself because all I could think about was getting high to forget about that little girl's pain 
and fuck God, how can he do that to a child? And why am I like I am? And all that, all that thought process was about 10 seconds. And all of a sudden, Samantha grabbed her joystick on her wheelchair, the little pinwheel, and said, but they can't do that, can they, Bobby? And that girl didn't care, you know? Mm-hmm. She didn't care that. She, you know, um, there was another time she wanted to go swimming, and Beth was busy inside the house doing whatever, getting ready for dinner. Scott was grilling. No one else was around. And she came out in the wheelchair crying. I said, what's wrong? And she said, nobody will swim with me. And I said, well, I will. So we went in. I said, Beth, get her ready. I'll take her in the pool. And they had an in-ground pool. And um, she's in like her little floaty thing. And we're just floating around. And we go over by the concrete steps. And her little mangled feet and legs were going up and down the steps. And she looked at me and said, look, Bobby, God lets me walk when I'm in the water. And the same thing, my thought process. Why the fuck did you do that to that little girl, God? Um, And in her mind, she was happy. Yeah. Right? Um, And not long after that, episode um i i disappeared and this was still in the summer for i don't know 10 days or so scott got word of where i was scott was not (laughs) scott was not this tough is not this tough badass guy um he found out where i was and pretty much kicked the door in a house at a crack house and said get your fucking shit grow the fuck up and get in my truck and it took everybody by surprise in the house he wanted to fight this guy. Nobody cared. They just looked at me and yeah. I, I was, I got up and I went with him and he took me to a hotel, paid, paid the hotel bill for a week. Um, it was, it was not a choice hotel, but he didn't know the activity that went on there <laughs> because he's like I said, he's really naive to all that. Um, but he also took me to Kmart and, um, spent about $150 to put groceries in the fridge. There was a little kitchenette in this hotel. He got me a couple pots, pans, dishes, and um, told me, don't fuck up and you better be outside that door every morning for work. All this is coming out of your check. And I did. <laughs> I, I, I didn't stay sober living in that hotel for that week. Um, but I did. I, wa- I didn't miss a day for work. And about the fourth day, he said, why didn't you tell me what goes on at this hotel? I've been talking to people and I, I played dumb. I'm like, I didn't know, dude. I got so, no idea. <laughs> yeah. So a week, a week um, after that week's rent was up, he put me in another one that was, went from uh, half a star to about a two star hotel, <laughs> but it was better. And um Labor Day weekend of 2007, it was a Sunday, and he called me up. We weren't going to go back to work till Tuesday. You want to know what I was doing? Um, Just hanging out. Do you want to come over and paint my shed? I'll pay you to do that. I'm like, yeah, cool. So he's going to come pick me up, and I look out the window, 
and there's a car in the parking lot of a dealer I know that I owed money to. Mm. So I called him back and I said, dude, don't pick me up. I'll be, don't pick me up at the hotel. I'll be walking down Telegraph Avenue. And he, he blows up. What the fuck? You know, what the fuck is going on? Blah, blah, blah. I said, just trust me on this one, dude. And when he picked me up, I explained to him. He goes, all right, all right. So we go back to his house and I paint. And um, it's the last home, it's the last game of the season for the Toledo Mudheads. And this was before they were the, uh, whatever they are now. Forget what they changed their name to. Uh, did um, they move? Uh, it doesn't really matter, but <laughs> I think they were. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but, <laughs> um, so he says, do you want to go to the game with me and the kids? And I'm like, sure. So we head back to the hotel and dude's car still there. And I'm like, Ooh, he just I, 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 I don't think he knew I was there. Oh, he was yeah. just kind of sitting. Just, yeah. 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 He was in a room there doing what dealers do. I don't know like that. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I, I said, just let me run in and grab my stuff real quick and change clothes. And as I did that and came out, this guy's girlfriend comes out and starts screaming. There he is. There's that motherfucker, Kevin. He's out here. And what was your it. heartbeat at, at, at like that moment? <laughs> <laughs> it, my, it was an adrenaline rush. I wasn't worried about getting like shot or anything like yeah. that. It wasn't some extravagant amount. Um, but, you know, I was also ready to defend my, my friend and his family, you know, if anything was going to go down. And we square up and, um, and this dude's big. He was, you know, I'm 5'11". And at that time, I'm 190 now. But back then, I was maybe 160 soaking wet. Mm -hmm. I always just thought I was ripped. I was just <laughs> a crackhead. I was just a skinny crackhead. <laughs> and, and, we're, and this guy was about, Kevin was about 6'5", six, 6'6". Six, six. And all at 225, 230. And um, I squared up. I was ready. And the kids were crying in the van, especially Samantha, all strapped in in her wheelchair and locked in. How you doing, a handicapped man, you know? And um, Scott gets out of the van and says, hey, I just picked up, I just got $300 from the ATM, take my family to the baseball game. Will this get me and my family out of here? He said, Bob works for me. Whatever else he owes you, I'll make sure that he pays you Friday when he gets paid and Scott handed him that $300. Wow. Dude let, dude let us go. And he looked at me and he said, get in the fucking van. Oh, like a good little bitch at that time feeling about that big get in the van. And as we're driving down to the game, he just looks at me and he says, suppose I'm going to have to buy you a fucking hot dog at the game. Aren't I? <laughs> you know, um, and I, you can only imagine how I was feeling at that time. Oh, man. Yeah. So, um, so, you know, Toledo starts getting cold. And November 1st, it was a Friday, got my last paycheck from him. And I disappeared again. I, I was done working on the roofs. I would rather get high and live on the streets or from crack house to crack house then go to work um, in the cold and have a safe place in a hotel, if that makes any sense at all. 
Yeah. Um, and I, I lived that way for till January 27th of 2008. Um, I got kicked out. I was asked to leave. A trap house, crack house, whatever you want to call it, um, for stealing. Really? I, I, I got caught. <laughs> I got caught. Yeah, yeah, I got caught stealing in a den of <laughs> I was the one that got caught. So um had a few options and I had about eighteen dollars on me. I was starving. Um I could have went and got that Pablo Escobar starter kit and got a little hustle going again um but i was tired i was really tired um i was tired of how i was living and i walked to lucas county jail that day it was um eight degrees or eight miles and it was about 10 degrees out and it was cold it was bitter everything i owned i was wearing um because when i disappeared i just left everything um, but that was a long walk. And it was um, it was long, but it was um, not as cold or because I was on a mission. Mm-hmm. Um, I stopped and got a couple do- double cheeseburgers. They were still a dollar a piece from McDonald's then, and um, walked by the Terry Street Mission, thinking get a shower, good night's sleep there and start all over the next day. But the line was too cold and I was cold. Um, the, the line was just long. Um, and the jail was only about six more blocks. So I got to the jail, I uh, ring the little buzzer and asked me if they could help me. And I said, I think I have some warrants. And they said, you think you do? Said, no, open the door. <laughs> I know I do. And um, that's when my life started to change. There was a huge sense of relief when I walked in. Um, Yeah, just relief. Getting in the brown jumpsuit. And I lived on the second floor. They called it the sober living floor. You had to go to meetings. Um, I knew I had these warrants, but I was at peace. I was totally at peace. I felt safe. You had like um, a direction, even if it wasn't like the most enjoyable, it was a direction, right. you know? And yes, I, I had a plan. Yeah, I did have a plan. And um, the judge was pissed at me because I was supposed to be a court in, well, I don't know, like September. Then they extended it till November. And then I was supposed to be one more time in December. And I just kept blowing it off. And those charges were... Um, there were some charges. The biggest thing was um, I was a piece of shit and I was, had huge, I had huge rearage on my child support. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was like the main one. The other ones were what goes along with that lifestyle, uh, drug, par- drug paraphernalia charge. Um, I don't know. There were 15, 18 charges all together. Yeah. All a bunch, all a bunch of misdemeanors. Couple driving, uh, no operator's license. I don't remember them all. Um, and after three weeks living in there, he finally took brought me to court. And um, do I know why? Where I was in December? That was the first thing. And 
for the first time ever in my life, was completely honest. I said, Your Honor, I was in a crack house getting high. I need help. How did that and, feel? Um, another relief. I was just like, I was honest. Yeah. And the whole the whole courtroom gallery was just like, oh, you hear what that motherfucker just said? Oh, my gosh. And <laughs> Because I think most people me. in that situation yeah. would you know, just kind of like lie, like, well, you know, I was yeah. you know, maybe on the street here or something. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. I, that's what I did. For, that's what yeah. I did many other times in court, you know. I, and um, he said, I'm going to send you back. You're going to get an assessment, and we're going to figure out what we're going to do with you. And I'll bring you back in a week. Um, brought me back in a week. Nobody ever came to give me my assessment. He was pissed off at his own system letting him down. So he said, I'll send you back for one more week. Um, once again, I did not get an assessment. Government. He was, <laughs> yeah, he was, he was not happy. Um, he said, well, the thing we're going to do, I'm going to bring you back in a week, and I'm going to decide on my own sentence. And I said, okay, that's fine with me. And um, as I started walking away, I looked back at him and I said, Your Honor, I'm up for sheriff's release because my crimes were not violent and the jail was overcrowded. All nonviolent, non-felons were going to be released. And I said, if I'm released on sheriff's release, I'm not coming back. And or I said, I think there's a good chance I won't come back. And he said, thank you for telling me that, Mr. Moore. I will make sure I block it. <sighs> Another first, I was completely honest. Um, went back the next week, and I'm looking at up to two years on all these charges. And he sentenced me to 60 days in work release or until I found a safe place and a job. And huge relief, right? I'm like almost ecstatic. I go back to the dorm waiting for them to come pick me up. And I'm reading the Toledo Blade, just waiting. And I open up um, the paper and I'm reading it. And in the obituaries is a picture of Samantha in her wheelchair. She had died. Really? And how do I call my cousin for, to, to collect to let him know I'm sorry? It's supposed to be a happy day for me and Samantha's gone. It was hard. Sure. Yeah, I was say that. It was, was very hard. Like a brick wall. Ton of bricks. I just sat there and some of my first thoughts were as soon as I got the work release, the first day they let me out, I was going to disappear. Um, I met some good people when I first got there. One of them is still a very good friend of mine um, to this day. He saw something was wrong with me. <laughs> His name's Carl. He's a black guy. He saw something was wrong with me and uh, me not being in a great frame of mind, he's like, you all right? And I'm like, why? You my fucking attorney? <laughs> Am I paying you? <laughs> and and that, that was over a work release. And for whatever reason, he, he, he got me laughing 
because I forget what he said back to me. And then I told him what happened. I told him about Samantha dying. Um, I said, my life's a fucked up mess and trying to change it. And he said, let me tell you something. My daddy was a heroin addict when I was growing up and he's been sober at that time. I, I forget, he told me 10, 12 years and he changed his life. And I see the look in your eye and you're gonna change. Wow. And I didn't, I didn't run. And like I said, the guy is still my friend to this day. That was probably like um, the first person in a long time that actually like believed in you to, to yeah, some extent. He, he still he'll send me messages now and then uh we we fuck around a lot on facebook have fun but he will always say that look he'll never forget that look in my eyes and um i ended up getting a job for minimum wage working for the city of toledo right alongside union workers making union wage mm -hmm. but but i got that job and i was proud and I found a safe place to live, a halfway house, and got out on the 59th day. I didn't have to do the whole 60. <laughs> um, it, it was pretty, you know, um, things were going really good. Um, I moved into that halfway house. I stayed there for six months. Um, did meetings, got a sponsor, really got, I, I was still doing, uh, the whole time I was in work release, Three days a week, I had to go to ILP for three hours after I went to that job. Um, and then I had to complete that ILP when I was at that halfway house. But something happened at that halfway house. I, I Like I said, I'm working for minimum wage. Um, I'm wearing the same bib overalls that say City of Toledo that these union people were wearing. Um, the the place I had to show up to for work every morning was about just over a mile up Cherry Street in Toledo. So I get up, um, I got a free bus pass because when you're living at a halfway house, you're technically homeless. So they give you a lot of the homeless benefits. Um, so I could take the bus and I wasn't the only one living at that halfway house that had the job for the neighborhoods division at the city of Toledo. Um, but I, I decided to walk every day. It was my, I, I walked, nobody knew I was making minimum wage. I had the city of Toledo bids on and I was a proud motherfucker because I had a job. I was doing the right thing. And um, I'd leave every day and there were three houses um, at the open door. And there were about 52, 50, yeah, about 50 to 52 guys at any time between the three houses. And there'd be 25 motherfuckers sitting on the front porch, drinking coffee and smoking cigarettes when I left for work. And I get home and that same motherfuckers would be out there drinking coffee and smoking cigarettes. Not that I'm any better than them. And they were sober. They were going to meetings every day, all day long. But that's not what I pictured sobriety. And I, I thought about leaving the halfway house. Um, I'd sit on my bunk and fucking cry. And I remembered that guy from Racing for Recovery. And I remembered running three miles in 18 minutes was the perfect score for 
the physical fitness test in the Marine Corps. And I had old ratty Reebok basketball shoes, <laughs> basketball shorts. And, th- and this, the, the open door was right in the middle of the hood. I mean, you know, right where I used to cop. And I would get home from work and I'd go run. And I started running and fucking run with so much anger and hatred for myself, what I did to myself, um, what I did to my family, um, thinking my family hated me, um, just everything. Don't get in my way because I, 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 was, I was healthy again. I was up to about 175 pounds. I was running like a blocking back. Don't get in front of me. But eventually it cleared my mind. Eventually I could run that three miles in 18 minutes. I got down to about 1640 was my, my fastest. Um, and I was still going to meetings and, you know, here I am 45 years old running like that. Um, and did my six months there and, um, got my own place, uh, started talking to my family again. Uh, 2008 was the first Thanksgiving I was allowed in my parents' house first time for about two and a half years, three years, something like that. I had been allowed in their house. Um, but I also had a friend who moved down to Texas. He's not just a friend. He was a superintendent of mine at a the contractor I worked for in Detroit. And he told me, I'd send an email to him or something. Uh, actually, it was a chain email that one of those things back in the day, make, make sure you forward this to 10 people or you're going to burn in fucking hell, you bastard. So, <laughs> I remember that. And I'm like, yeah, and I'm like, holy shit, my life's going good. I should I should forward this. I don't want my life to fuck <laughs> up. You know, so, and he was one of them that was in my address book. And I hadn't probably talked to John in a good two and a half, three years. And um, <laughs> I forwarded it to him and he forwarded back. Hey, Merry Christmas, Bob. Um, what are you doing? We need big, we need good foreman down in Texas. And from that point, that was Christmas of 2008. Um, I, I told my family, that was Christmas time, not like Christmas Day, but mm-hmm. December. And I told my family, I'm moving to Texas. And of course, they're looking at me, you know, here I am coming up on just being a year sober they've heard all kinds of crazy pipe dreams from me you know on and off through the years I'm like I'm fucking serious and John and I started corresponding uh started talking on the phone I told him I don't have a license um that I fucked my life up really bad my life was fucked up when I worked for him but went tenfold from the last time he had talked to me um, they found an apartment a mile from the job that they wanted me to run. It was, uh, the San Antonio TPC, JW Marriott resort. I was going to be in charge of the painters and drywall finishers. Um, not long after the first of the year going into 2009, I went to my parents' house. I asked them, is there any way I can live with you till I move? I am moving. And for the first time, they did finally believe me. Um, when I was using, I would go sell my plasma. I was selling my plasma so I could save money to move to Texas. Um, 
and still working at that minimum wage job. And um, March of 2009, I stepped off March 3rd of 2009. I stepped off a plane in Texas with $350 cash in my pocket, one bag of luggage and a backpack. And that was everything. And I started my life down there. And that $350 I owed to my mom. Um, I walked every day to work. I said a rosary every morning walking to work. Um, I eventually started meeting people. People would pick me up. Um, I'd send a money order like every other week home to my mom, $25, $50, something like that. It, it would differ some weeks, 50. My mom would uh, post little pictures on Facebook and tag me in them and say, I bought this with my mad money. And she put that in parentheses. That was a... That was our thing. Sometimes I'm a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> no, I um, feel you. And I ended up, um, it was a tough job. It was a tough job because it's Texas. Yeah. It's like, work, it's like working in Mexico. Um, and it's hot. I, question, <laughs> I, I didn't care about the heat. I yeah. love the heat. My, my workers didn't speak much English. Um, I walked a very fine line of being a racist pig. Um, my, my dad would, my dad's good. He, he would, he would justify it by saying I'm patriotic, not racist. Um, he, I worked my ass off to get their respect and I finally started getting their respect. Um, which was hard, you know, um, I'm working with some illegals at that point. My son was in the Marine Corps. Um, let me, let me backtrack a little bit. So when I was living at that halfway house, Brian was in the Marine Corps. Um, he, it was like the first 90 days you lived there, you couldn't have a cell phone. Um, there was one house phone, like I said, for like 50 motherfuckers, one phone, but obviously you're not going to make collect calls on that phone. <laughs> you're not, or you're not going to make long. They're not going to let you make long distance calls. Mm -hmm. And Brian's cell phone was long distance. And uh, somebody let me use their cell phone to call Brian. Um, he didn't answer, but I left him a message of where I am and um, the number of the house. And a few days later, they're running around. Hey, where's more at? Where's Bob Moore? His son's on the phone. So I run over to the house that's got the phone, three houses, only one phone for the three houses. <laughs> and, um, and I get on the phone and he's like, hey, dad, how you doing? I said, I'm doing good. He said, guess where I'm calling from? I'm like, where? He said, the gatehouse at the White House. <sighs> and I'm like, dude, I'm so proud of you. And he said, dad, I'm more proud than you can ever be of me for where you are. Ooh, wow, that's... And, um, That's a lot. so, so when I, when I got down to Texas and working with these illegals and my son's defending the country, it was hard. Um, but things that happened was I met some of these guys. I got to know them. They're just people. They're just people trying to have a better life. The system's fucked up. 
That doesn't make them fucked up. I met their wives. Their wives and their children would come and get their check and hand their check over. Um, I saw the human side of them. Mm-hmm. It still would piss me off at times. Um, but I was changing. God knew what he was doing by sending me down there. Um, I met, uh, reacquainted with a friend from high school through Facebook. She came out. We had the fling. She got pregnant. Um, she lost the baby. There again, I, I cursed God and threw God out again because how dare him take that child away from me because it was my chance to be a good father again. Yeah. Um, and that was my thought. And I was very angry. Um, I didn't take care of a lot of stuff getting sober. I, I was clean and dry, but I didn't take care of a lot of shit inside here. Mm-hmm. And um, she took a brunt of it. She ended up moving back to Florida. Um, I changed companies and um, had an interview at this company. I quit this I quit the company because they were very, their integrity really sucked. Um, a lot of, a lot of Texas companies integrity sucks. This one really sucked. <laughs> so, so um, my job interview at this other company consisted of, and they knew me, the other company knew who I was. That job went, I made a buku money on that job. I ran the job great. Um, and they were, I was like this, enigma down there for a little bit hey you got to meet this yankee and how he runs a job and you know he blows up in meetings and tells contractors to fuck off and he knows what he's doing though and that must have felt amazing because it's like that's like one of the first things of like you're like proving your competence to yourself again it's like okay i am like different it it, it was i mean i remember a couple things the one because I, I, I was an asshole. I can still be an asshole. <laughs> um, I can be a little arrogant. Um, and the one prod, or, uh, superintendent, there was like five superintendents on this job because it was so big. I mean, it was a JW Marriott resort yeah. with a convention center, a spa. Um, I think 15 or 1800 room hotel, you know, and all, all the fancy restaurants and whatnot. And that other paint contractor was on the job because two paint contractors, they didn't think one paint contractor could handle the whole, the whole project. So anyways, this uh, superintendent, <laughs> the one day, uh, I forget how he said it, something about, we have never seen such a hardworking, intelligent uh, super paint, paint, contra- or paint contracting foreman slash superintendent down here in a long time and, and I literally looked at him I said you know what Rick I'm no different than any other union trained uh, painter from up north I said I just got blessed to come down to dumb dumb land and I walked away, <laughs> and I walked away from him <laughs> so Mic drop. Yeah, yeah and uh so anyways I met that other superintendent for this company and I called him and said um you know I quit I need a job. And he's like, Oh, Yankee. He was a, Melvin was this dumb Texas pole. Not, not dumb, but just a Texas Polak. He was a Vietnam vet. Um, 
just a grumpy old man. Yeah, say just you know? salty, just yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just pictures every Texan you know with the the cowboy hat, and cowboy boots, and uh, he said, "Oh, Yankee man, that was a mistake. I don't think we're hiring." Well, little did I know he plays poker and he had his poker face going. Mm. So I go into the job interview and I meet the owner of the company. And he's like, um, you know, I can't start you out what you were making at the other job. You got to prove yourself here. He said, I got four minute superintendents here already. And I said, understandable. I didn't have a job though. So I needed it regardless. Um, and I think I took like a $5 an hour pay cut. Um, but I had to quit that other job without a backup plan. So yeah. I didn't care. Um, and I'm sitting there and he said, uh, he literally looks at me and he says, you go to church, Bob. And I'm like, fuck my mind. I'm like, what the fuck? I'm like, um, yeah, I go on Christmas and Easter. So what religion are you? And that, like I said, I need this job. So my head, I'm like, what the fuck is this motherfucker doing? And he says, uh, or I said, well, I was raised Catholic. He goes, hang on one second. And he goes to who was the vice president of the company, Bernie. And he comes back with this form. And he said, take this in the kitchen and fill this out. He said, regardless if I hire you or not, I'm going to pay for you to go on this axe retreat and it was like a men's retreat for the catholic church i'm like holy fuck but i need the job so i fill it out well come, as soon as i come back uh he says he looks at as soon as i come back from filling that out i hand it to him and he says go to text med clinic take a piss test and meet meet melvin tomorrow morning at fort sam houston and that retreat actually changed my life um, believe it or not, it was very cool. Um, it reestablished my Catholic faith. Um, let me heal a lot of the anger that I had inside. Um, my my girlfriend that got pregnant, it healed what we had. I we thought I did anyways. She came back and we got married six months later. We got divorced, so. <laughs> it, it wasn't meant to happen anyways um went to work for that company and it was great um i did i did some good projects also um um ended up going on a retreat also as a leader but i also saw a whole lot of hypocrisy um with the men from that church and when you're looking at the hypocrisy of others, you're also looking at your own hypocrisy. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was partially a lot of, um, I was still kind of a racist judgmental prick on the job, um, in ways. Um, yeah, I was just, yeah, I was just a prick still. Um, that was very hypocritical, but then they got me into doing, uh, and, and they asked me to do another men's retreat. And I'm like, nah, I'm done. And things were still going good. Um, but then I ended up hooking up and doing teen retreats. And that was even even cooler. That was so much fun helping kids. Um, because 
I was still a kid. I'm still a fucking kid at 55 years old. <laughs> and um, so this whole time also, running was huge in my life. I ran still three to five miles every day. I never wanted to run any races. I did it simply to keep my head calm. Um, didn't didn't want to compete. And I started, like I said, I started doing these teen retreats. Um, the kids talked me into running a 5K for a fundraiser. And out of like 300 people, I ended up taking second. I got beat by an 18-year-old. Yeah, I got beat by an 18-year-old. So I was okay with it. But there again, as soon as I was done, I didn't want to race anymore. Well, there's some things that secrets from my past that I still kept within myself, but I shared them with that girl because she was my wife. Um, and through those secrets, after she moved back to Florida, she started blasting me on uh, with about some of these secrets on social media. Um, some of the, some of the parents, from the teens that I'm doing these teen retreats. And I've been, I, I was doing one retreat every six months to a year. And um, her and I were blocked on social media because, you know, that's what you do when you hate somebody. And, um, but some of the parents weren't. And she was putting out there that I gave her an STD and some other things and I was catching wind because we went to the same high school. So we had a lot of mutual friends. So friends were sending me this and I'm like, finally um, in March of 2012, um, actually it was the end of February of 2012. I went to, I'm like, well, you know what? Fuck that fucking bitch. I'll, I'll prove it once and for all. And I went to the San Antonio CDC because I didn't have um, insurance to get a blood test, to get a battery of uh, check for every STD across the board. And a week later, they called me, they called me on a Friday um, and told me I had to come in. And I was like, um, and she had accused me of having given her genital warts, you know, herpes. This day and age, who doesn't have herpes? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, I mean, and, um, they couldn't tell me over the phone. They said they weren't allowed. So, you know, I'm like, not really sweating it. Who cares? Yeah, it's like, oh, maybe it's just that something weekend. that's, you know. Yeah, exactly. I'll get a shot and I'm good. And um, went in there that Monday, which was March 5th, 2012. And, um, guy's got a clipboard social worker and he's like do you know why you're here mr moore said well my ex is accusing me of this saying i got this so evidently i have this and he's like shuffling through the papers he goes uh no you don't you don't have herpes or genital warts or whatever he said um it, it all started being a blur he said unfortunately you're hiv positive Ooh. and um yeah my heart. Now I'm on decent spiritual ground because of doing these retreats. Um, but my heart was in my nuts, you yeah. know, below my, below my stomach. And 
the first thought in my head is back to the 80s and 90s. I'm embarrassed. I got the faggot disease um, because, as I said, I'm still a judgmental prick at that time in my life. I hit it very well. Um, with the kids at retreats, it would be do as I say, not as I do. And then I go to work and be this judgmental prick and then see these kids and say, you need to do this. You can't call that person that. And then I'm doing the same opposite over here. Um, I, I, I thought about a pile of cocaine this big. Um, thought about, then, and the whole time that all these thoughts are going through, this guy's grilling me saying, I need all your sexual partners in the last six months, blah, 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 blah. And I feel mm -hmm. like, like, like the Gestapo's got a flashlight in my face. Um, yeah. Imagine your and, brain is just everywhere. Yeah. Everywhere. And half of what he's saying, it sounded like the peanuts. Wah, 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 wah. <laughs> and um, all this, and it was probably about an hour that all this was going on. I remember two things. He told me Magic Johnson has lived with this forever and more people die from diabetes than this. Okay. Um, I'm also had like a presence come over me that told me I was supposed to teach. It was just a feeling. And, mm -hmm. but I still driving home thought about, oh, it, the company I work for, the, the owner's son, they made him plate and insure a truck for me to drive because they needed me to drive to work because I was that valuable. So, so I'm driving home and I'm thinking about crashing that truck. I'm oh, thinking yeah. about taking myself bet. out. And um, it, I got the gay disease. That's yeah. what I'm thinking. Yeah, like in the 90s, too, it's, how, like, it's death sentence yeah. too. You know, like, and, like that's and, the and that's, Yeah, and that's, that's all that's going through my mind. And um, I get home and I'm just, I'm, I'm floored. Um, I didn't go to work the next day. Um, I went to Bernie, that guy that I said was vice president that got me doing the retreats. And I'm like, dude, I got HIV. Can I, I don't know. Am I allowed to go on retreat with the kids? I didn't know anything. You know, I scared to cough on anybody. Um, we went and talked to the pastor, Father Flanagan, um, Truly his name, Father Flanagan from Ireland, old, old Irish, conservative, Irish, Irish, conservative, Irish, 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 <laughs> from, from Ireland, um, 68 years old. And he said, well, let's go talk to Father Flanagan. And we walked into his office and he said, what can I help you gentlemen with today? Before that old man could sit down, I'm like, Father, I got HIV. Can I go on retreat with the kids? <laughs> And it was like somebody kicked him in the gut. Yeah. And he sat down and he took a breath and he said, well, have you committed any crimes, Bob? And I said, well, none that you don't already know about from my personal <laughs> testimony. And he said, well, I see how you treat the kids around here. Um, and they all love you. And you do very well with the kids. I see no reason but we're going to have to leave it up to the church board. And those motherfuckers told me I couldn't go. Mm. They, the same ones that helped reestablish, some of them were the same men 
that helped reestablish my Catholic faith on the men's retreat told me I couldn't go. And their reason was, we're afraid what other people will think. Whatever the fuck that means. Yeah, that's that really and, just means that I'm scared of other people's opinion. So I'm not going to do right. what I think I should right. do. So that was yeah. 2012. And I really have not found a church since then. Um, but I don't damn God anymore. Um, I know why he gave it to me. He gave it to me because I was the hypocrite. He gave it to me because I was the judgmental prick. He gave it to me because he knew I was strong enough to carry a message. Um, it was hard. Uh, but things changed a lot, changed. Um, I thought I'd be dead in a year because I didn't know anything. Um, there was there was nights with a shotgun barrel right here. I know what the cold steel feels like. I know what the gun oil smells like, but I didn't do it. Um, I ended up moving back, but I also had a plan. I thought, I, like I said, I thought I'd be dead. So I wanted to run a marathon. That was my bucket list. So October of 2012, I ran the Marine Corps marathon. Less than six months after I was diagnosed, I wasn't even on uh, antiretroviral drugs yet. They didn't know what drug to put me on. Wow. Um, there's a lot of them. They, there's a yeah. lot that goes with it. Um, yeah. Um, and my son was stationed at the White House at the time still. So they were at the finish line. It was very cool. Um, yeah. It was, it was awesome. The Marine Corps Marathon is one of the coolest. Plus it's my first. Plus I was in the Marines. My son was in the Marines. So, um, and my girlfriend at the time and her and my stepdaughter, we all went out there together. Um, but she stuck through me with the diagnosis, but there's still that secret. Um, you know, there was still that secret inside. And until I let that secret out, it was this addict here can't live with secrets. And in 2014, I relapsed. Um, and that secret was, there was a time I did whatever, when I said back in 2007, I did whatever I had to do to get drugs. I slept with men. I slept with women. Um, I questioned many times, and I've been through a lot of therapy. Was I gay? Am I gay? Um, I did what I had to do to survive. And as twisted as the mind gets in addiction, it wasn't always about getting high. Um, it wasn't always about a safe place to stay for the night. Sometimes it was actually, even though it was gross and, and you know, just terrible, it was about that feeling that somebody wanted me. Yeah. Just that connection, I didn't want myself. some kind of connection. And um, it took a lot of therapy to get through that. Um, and that that was the big secret. And, you know, I never had to say that. Um, it's been out public now, tell people, because I don't ever want anybody to feel like I did. Um, and... 
yeah, I just never wanted anybody. And I had to heal myself as yeah. well. Um, that year also, I met a guy at um, a racing for recovery. I was still going to those meetings, but that then the, the, the guy that started it ended up being kind of a douchebag. Um, and there's the program is awesome. He's a douchebag. Um, he's very arrogant. Um, he has he has completed like 58 Ironmans, which is pretty cool. Yeah, but that doesn't make you a badass. Also true. That, that stuff does not make you a badass, which I'll get to in a minute. So I met this guy Eric at a Racing for Recovery half Ironman out at Bombay Bay State Park. Now, I can't stand Ironmans. I never did one. I, I did an Olympic distance triathlon and a sprint distance triathlon. I'll never do another one because it's not my thing. Um, but I met this guy in recovery and he says, he's kind of arrogant too. He's my best friend, by the way, Eric, um, still to this day. He said, if you stay sober, this was in May of 2014. And at that point, um, my sobriety date is April 28, 2014. So at that point, when I met him, I was not even 30 days sober. He said, I'll tell you what, if you stay sober till the end of July, I'll let you, this is his arrogance, I'll let you pace and crew me at the Burning River 100-mile race. <laughs> you know? And I'm like, I, I had no idea what a 100-mile race was. Yeah. Um, I ran marathons. At that point, from 2012 till I met him, I think I ran about 22 or 24 marathons at that point. Um, I'd done one... 150k which i thought was ridiculous five miles more than a, a marathon and i thought that was just crazy right so we talk on the phone and um he's telling me all about the 100 mile race and what i'm gonna do all right now so i drive from i'm living in toledo i drive out to canal fulton still driving with no license <laughs> i do some things i didn't change mm. and they they come back to bite you um I drive out to his house. He introduces me to his wife and his son. And here I am at that point, um, not even 90 days sober. And this guy invites me into his house, hands me $350 cash, a credit card, and the keys to his van. And the his 10-year-old son I'm in charge of while he starts this 100-mile race. I'm going to drive aid station to aid station till mile 50 mark. And then he's got other friends going to pick up the van and I'm going to run with him. Um, and like I said, that's my best friend still because he did that. We, <laughs> he only made it to mile 85 that year only. Uh, we learned a lot about ultras that year. Mm -hmm. We learned about each other a lot. Um, and at that, the the very same race the next year, he finished his first hundred miler and I ran my first hundred mile race. And I I dropped out at mile eighty six, um, more because I was arrogant and uh, I just thought I could do it without training. Yeah, that's who I am. Um, yeah, and from that point, that was two thousand 
2014, um, I've ran 2,200 mile races now. Haven't been, haven't finished them all. Um, but, and I've been through a lot since then, but I've stayed sober. I've been through, I'm, I'm technically right now at this point, Wes, I'm homeless. Huh. Um, yeah. I, I have a roof over my head, um, but I'm, me and my girlfriend broke up in November and I was basically thrown out into the streets. But everything that I've done since now, not everything that I've done since 2014, um, everything I've done probably since about 2018, action-wise, matched every word that came out of this mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, that first couple, that first year of my sobriety in 2014 to 2015 was done out of pure spite. Um, and to this day, I don't talk to my son since that relapse. Um, I heard a bad that hurts. He's, I've got a granddaughter I haven't met yet. Yeah. There's things, there's things that I have to still, there's amends I have to make, um, forgiveness. There's a whole lot of healing still. I don't talk to my 11 brothers and sisters or my mom and dad. I heard them mad when I relapsed again. Um, yeah. And that was coming up on seven years. Um, That stuff hurts, but I keep pushing forward and I keep trying to do the right thing. And like I said, this time when Carmen asked me to leave, I had amazing friends come out um, out of the blue, offer me all kinds of things because my actions and my words match each other. Yeah. That's I'm going like through, the power of that. It's, yeah, and that and that's definitely. I don't go to church, but I know God is in my life. And yeah. I know that's why I am where I am. Um, I take one pill a day for this HIV. I'm kicking that shit. You know, um, this is. I actually did a. It's just crazy. You asked me to do this podcast. I just did one last Thursday, and I did three of them within the last six months. Yeah. Um, Have you done any before that? No, no. Yeah. I mean, no, it just, um, because of COVID, 2020 was like everybody's worst year in their life, right? It was one of my best, um, <laughs> yeah, including including the breakup with my girlfriend. Um, I did some incredible things since Thanksgiving when, well, it was two weeks before Thanksgiving. I've been to Arizona twice to florida um but because of covid in march um a friend facebook friend he's a marine he's also in recovery he's got a whole bunch of letters after his name (laughs) for going to school you know Mm -hmm. he did the he he went the proper channel to become a guru in addiction and recovery um he was there when i through my um hiv diagnosis he was there through my relapse, uh, non-judgmental on it all. He sends me a message in March. Um, it's getting a little squirrel, or I'm getting a little squirrely down here in Texas. I'm going to start a Zoom meeting. Uh, would you Zoom 12-step meeting? Would you be interested in 
joining, <laughs> the thoughts in my head were, fuck, no, fuck that meeting. I don't do them. I yeah. don't do them. Um, I do three to four meetings a year. Um, out of, if he wasn't a Marine, I probably won up. But out of the respect that he was a Marine and everything he did, I said, yes, Tim, I will. And for the whole month of March, all of April, into May, it was like 68 straight days. I did not miss a Zoom meeting. Um, I found out a lot that I still needed to work on in here. Um, things I still didn't let go of, um, anger issues, just, and it was the greatest thing. Um, I don't think had I been doing those meetings when everything fell apart in our relationship in November, um, when, when, when the ship fell apart in 2014, actually in towards the end of 2013, when the actual relapse started, and then into 2014, there were holes punched in the wall, dishes broken, um, knuckle prints in a stainless steel refrigerator. Um, just, yeah, just a whole lot of erratic behavior. And then every 10 or 12 days, I'll teach that bitch. I'm going to go out and drain our bank account and get high. That'll teach her not to piss me off um, because that's twisted thinking of an addict. Not one of those thoughts came through my mind when she asked me to leave. Um, and it was hard that first week. And after that, it was just like, you know what? Whatever's going to happen, I'm a good dude. And I know myself now. Like I said, people just reached out. Um, you know, this past weekend was just, you know, um, I ran 24 hours on a treadmill for a fundraiser yeah, for, 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 for a veterans organization. And um, we went over $6,000 that we raised. And the founder was talking to a couple of the members. We were about 20, 18, 20 hours in. And we had, we were like $500 short of the $5,000 goal we had set. Wait, we might've just went over, whatever the case was. He came out and he looked at me and he said, you know, I just told the board in there, we got a homeless veteran that just raised us $5,000. <laughs> yeah. And that's like, you know, that's one of the things that's just like, I don't know, it's just so real where you know there's just you know i honestly don't even really know what to say completely because i think that is that's just like the you like from my perception <laughs> you know what i mean like there's Thank all you. this other shit and then you see something like that and it's just like yeah like i could like <laughs> that's that's the deepest layer of you and all the other stuff is just yeah. like a surface level thing that just swirls around you know sometimes hey <laughs> quest yeah it's yeah, it's crazy. Actually, it's, you know, <laughs> I was kidding the whole time too. I'm like, fuck, all these, because that was the sixth, that was my sixth time doing a fundraiser on a treadmill. <laughs> and I'm kidding around with my, and my, the guy doing it with me is Eric, the guy that mm. uh, we, we did it together. Um, and he's a veteran. I'm like, dude, when is somebody just going to do start me a GoFundMe page because I'm fucked up and give me money. You <laughs> yeah, know, <Yeah. laughs> I would not, I'm like, I'm like the gorilla hair girl. People are giving her money. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and <laughs> things like that, you know, and 
I, I would never do that, but I, it was, we were joking around I'm like, what about me? <laughs> Get some gorilla glue, see what happens. Yeah, you know? Right. Right. But <laughs> yeah, it was really, um, that one was just crazy that a community came together and, and I was telling the founder about that too. I'm like Brian, the coolest thing is that the Sam center is in Maslin, Ohio, you know, so it, it helps veterans in our area right here. But the donations came from across the country between my Facebook friends and other friends sharing it. We had people donating from New York, Texas. I had a friend from Arizona donate. Um, people from across the country donated to this thing. So the word got out about this. And that's the coolest thing, you know? Yeah. And that's that, that it like... became you know, everyone, you know, obviously is like either, you know, so like all you see so much is like division with politics and stuff like that. Right. And, exactly. and I just don't entirely believe that that is really the case because all the experiences I generally have with people, like, it's not like that. It's not like, oh, I hate you because of this and that. Like I right. just generally see a lot of people being, as a general rule, really cool and really Giving. exactly and i i don't know i just don't really believe that that is the it is as bad as what we're told it is i don't believe that at all i mean yeah. and, and you follow me on social media you know <laughs> i can be the most inappropriate prick at <laughs> that's part of what I, I liked is because yeah. i would i would just see how you are and, and it's me i'm like oh this dude's like a a free soul like no matter what what everything is just like out there you know, like the, it's just like, this is exactly who I am. And, you know, the, one of the best quotes I, I ever heard was like, the minute that you stop caring what everyone else thinks, you just transcend to a, a higher level of just existing because you're just free from all the like, even, even I will have something where I'm like, I don't know if I want to share this because, you know, maybe this person will think this and I'll, and I'll still have a lot of parts of me that like, I don't, I don't want to like, you know, put all my beliefs out there or something like that. And then I see you and right. to me, it's like inspiring. Cause just like you are you and that's just it. <laughs> Thank like, there's you. nothing else. Like, this is just what it is. <laughs> yeah. I try to be, uh... <laughs> thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> so, so the other thing is when the fuck are you going to run an altar with me? I actually, so I want to do, I was tentatively planning on doing a 50 miler this year. I have not been training that much in part because I had a knee injury, but also because I've just been kind of like a little bitch about getting back into running because I kind of got out of the habit, you know, but it, oh, yeah. it's something I wanted to do because after I did, I did two marathons, like a year and a half or two, I did like the Mohican and then I did one other one that year. Right. And, and it just, it what I like about it is just like it parallels life so much to me, at least where it's like, you have all these difficult, you have this difficult task that seems quite long when you start it. And then you just like start going and start going. And then things can get a little hard and your brain starts pointing tricks on you of like, ah, you know, why did I even do this? I should, you know, I could just quit right now. Honestly, like, does it really matter that much? And you go through these little <laughs> mind games oh, yeah. and then you just get through all of that. And, and then you finish and, you know, I honestly don't, I, I didn't really feel a sense of accomplishment per se, like right after I finished, like I didn't really feel right. 
anything. It was at the time it was disappointing to me because I thought I was gonna have this huge like, oh, I did this. Oh, yay! And I just crossed the finish line. I was like, okay, well, that was right. Oh yeah. But then you know, it, it's you know, gets better. Just like wine, it gets better with age. But then now, as I look back on it, I'm like, oh, that was a really important thing, and it really taught me a lot of stuff just about exactly. life and just continuing and going through adversity and and not listening to like the little things that my head says right and I want to take and I do want to take that to like the next level because I know the marathons gave me that I bet a 50 miler is going to be just another it is. level of that oh yeah definitely yeah no doubt <laughs> yeah so I do, it, it's, it's something now like I I have to do like I just have to at least do it and I do want to eventually do a hundred miler I'm gonna work my way up to that so I want to just 50 miler see how that goes learn from yeah. it and then kind of assess from there but it's something I definitely feel like I have to do before I die like bucket list have to do right okay well you do them both I'll be by your side on both of them I promise Hell you yeah thank you for doing the podcast i like, oh yeah you're, you're a fucking badass i i think your whole story <laughs> is you. awesome um and yeah it's just awesome and we'll definitely <laughs> do some type of running in the future for sure yeah all right <laughs>